Hey everybody and welcome to episode 50 of the Witcher chapter by chapter book review where I'll go through a summary of the latest chapter and then give my detailed thoughts on it. Today I'm discussing chapter 4 from the Lady of the Lake. I can't believe this is the 50th episode. That's just wild. I was thinking about trying to do something special for this episode because it's number 50 but I didn't have any ideas. <laughs> I, I wanted to do something. I just, nothing, nothing came to mind. Nothing that I thought would be that entertaining. So yeah, we're just gonna do a usual typical episode. Uh, nothing that's gonna be out of the ordinary here. So you don't have to expect anything different. But I do just want to take a moment to, I don't, I'm not trying to boost myself up so much. Like I, I don't, I don't want to sound like I'm bragging i but i i'm proud of that 50 i mean it really is just another number it's not anything special but it is often seen as a milestone so i do just want to talk about it for just a second here and talk about how i i do feel proud of that um i was thinking about how like episode 100 would be a big deal, but I don't know that we'll get to episode 100 because I don't think there's enough chapters to get that far. There's definitely not. I don't know exactly what episode we're going to be on when we get to the very final chapter of the final book, but it's definitely not going to be 100. All right. Well, that's all I had to say about that, I guess. So I'm going to give you the recap from the previous episode or from where we left off with the character that we're following in this chapter. Then I'll give you the summary of the chapter and then we'll go through the discussion. So to kick it off with the recap, this chapter follows Geralt. So I'll recap you on what happened with Geralt. So we left off with him about two months into his winter stay in Tucson, where we got updated on what he's been doing since his arrival. He's basically been having relations with Fringilla and killing monsters for pay. But we discover that Fringilla has been secretly meeting with the Lodge and discussing Geralt's stay and how they can keep him in Tucson longer. Alright, here's the summary of Chapter 4. Geralt goes into underground cellars to search for a monster when he stumbles upon a room that allows him to listen in on a conversation between Stefan Skellen and other conspirators plotting to overtake Nilfgaard and kill Emperor Amir. During the conversation, he hears them say how Ciri is either missing or dead, Yennefer is Vilgefortz's prisoner, not his accomplice, and the name of Vilgefortz's location. Upon learning this information, he tries to hurry back to Beauclair to collect the rest of the company and set out in the direction of Vilgefortz's hideout. But before he can leave the cavern, he's accosted by Witcher-hating monsters. <laughs> Witcher-hating monsters. I don't know that. There are any monsters that wouldn't hate a witcher. Uh, but he's accosted by these monsters that won't let him leave, so he must kill them. He arrives back at Beauclair and notifies the group that they're to be leaving in a half hour. But before he can make a quick getaway without having a face-to-face -face goodbye with Rangilla, she catches him in the stables. She offers him information about how Yennefer didn't betray him in exchange for the name of Vilgefortz's hideout. He gives her a name and they say goodbye. Naturally, Fringilla reports the name of the hideout back to the lodge, 
and the Lodge plans a mission to seize Vilgefortz. Kira Metz and Sabrina Glevisig go to the castle while the rest of the Lodge watches on a magic screen and communicates with them via crystal ball. Before they even communicate, they can tell something isn't right. Geralt gave Fringel the name of the wrong castle, rightfully not trusting the sorceress he's been sharing many intimate moments with lately, and she's left humiliated in front of the rest of the sorceresses. Oh, Fringilla. We will talk about her, but let's kick it off. We're going to take it from the top as we normally do. But just to establish the structure of the chapter before we dive into it, Fringilla is in a lodge meeting and she's telling them about how she came to discover the name of Vilgefortz's hideout. So she starts out by telling them the story from the morning before Geralt left to carry out the monster contract where he made those discoveries. And then it covers from there up to his departure. And then during the story, the part about Geralt's endeavors on the contract are told as a flashback while Geralt is recounting the story to Regis right before they set out from Tucson. I just wanted to make sure that that was clear because I'm going to talk a little bit in detail from some of the moments where the flashbacks are being initiated and the timeline could get confusing. So I hope that this makes it clear going into it just it could kind of seem all over the place if I didn't establish that verse. I hope that this helped with that. All right, well, Fringilla is telling the Lodge that Geralt was completely in her power and he did everything that she wished. But then it cuts to the flashback of right before Geralt takes off for his Witcher contract and the two of them are waking up and she's almost begging him to not go and to stay in bed with her and he's kind of just like, nah, he, he's not even directly answering her questions. He's a bit dismissive. So we quickly see that she was lying to the lodge. Like Geralt was not completely in her power. And we have seen little glimpses into their current relationship, but this feels like it really at least maybe reaffirms the dynamic and how she expressed wanting him more than he did her. Well, the flashback continues to when the two are in the kitchen in Beauclair Palace, they're having breakfast, and they're with the rest of the company, except for Dandelion. Well, up until Geralt leaves, it's kind of just what you would expect to hear. He's pretty quiet. Angolam is talking about inappropriate things, and she's getting Geralt and Regis kind of annoyed with her, and Milva's in a very bad mood. Turns out that that Baron that she met in the previous chapter, he proposed to her, and she rejected him which isn't surprising, but after he got rejected, he left town. So she's pretty bummed out that he's not around anymore. But we actually get a little bit of an update during this part on Geralt and Dandelion. Because, and I wanted to talk about this because in the previous episode, I discussed the disagreement that they had and how I wasn't sure if they made up since it took place shortly after they first arrived in Beauclair. But at this point in the chapter, it seems like it could have gone either way because Geralt asks the company at breakfast how Dandelion has been since he rarely sees him. But he doesn't make it clear if that's because they purposely avoid each other since their fight or if it's because they're both just too preoccupied. But the group says that they rarely see him too, but they've heard that he started calling the Duchess Little Weasel, even in front of other people. And Angela M actually points out how, based on the Duchess's appearance, that's an apt name for her. It's mean, but it's kind of funny. 
Angolem has actually become a really funny character. I really enjoy it when she is talking in the chapters. Well, Geralt takes off, and the rest of the company stays in the kitchen with Fringilla. Angolem tries to talk to Fringilla about how Geralt wants to leave her in Tucson when he leaves, which she doesn't want to do because she only feels safe from that guy, Falco Artevelde, the um, prefect of Reed Bruna, Ride Bruna, while she's in Geralt's company. But Regis points out to Angolem that the only thing Fringilla is concerned about in Angolem's problem is Geralt leaving Tucson because she doesn't want to see him go. Well, when he points this out, this kind of fires Fringilla up and she she starts to tell the company that it's in Geralt's best interest to stay in Tucson since he gets to do what he likes and he's making good money and he's safe there and even the Duchess is well disposed towards him. And the thing about the Duchess, that's actually because the succubus that she wanted him to get rid of uh, has stopped her hauntings, which the Duchess and many other ladies of Tucson were very pleased with. But then Fringilla quickly brings up how she heard about the succubus recently seen with what could have been a vampire. She says this very specifically to Regis. So I don't know if she knows he's a vampire or if it was just a coincidence. It kind of seems like she might know. But Regis plays dumb and it turns out he actually has been involved with the succubus and it sounds like it's been a romantic involvement. So everybody in the company has been pretty occupied. They've all found some form of companionship while they've been staying in Beauclair. But they return to the topic of Geralt staying or leaving Tucson and Frangilla shows she's very insecure about his desire to leave. She asks multiple times if he's talked to them about the possibility of leaving and when that might be. Like she really wants to get answers out of them. They don't have a definitive answer. But I think that this could be another example of how Fringilla certainly does not have power over Geralt and she's more needy toward him. But also remember at the end of the last chapter, she was telling the Lodge that she'll try everything in her power to keep him in Beauclair until May. But the company, like I said, they haven't gotten any specifics from Geralt lately on when they were going to leave, but they are sure and they're hopeful that he'll want to leave eventually, preferably for them soon, since he's going to have to make a move. He can't stay there forever. So she continues, Fringilla, she continues to try and convince them that he's better off just staying put. She starts talking about how she helped Geralt learn about Ciri's lineage which is, I guess, good that he seems to have made some progress, I guess, in his mission to rescue Siri. She helped better heal his knee. That's been causing him problems since Vilgefort's destroyed it on Thanad. And I haven't talked about this very much. It's brought up in a lot of chapters, and I kind of just don't really mention it. I probably have mentioned it a few times, but in a lot of chapters where Geralt is present, he complains or he'll have like a thought or something related to him feeling the pain in his knee after what happened with Vilgefortz. So she's helped him with that a little bit. That was another thing that she's done for him since he's been there. And she also made him an amulet to replace his witcher medallion. But her words fall on deaf ears as she doesn't manage to convince the group that it's a better idea for Geralt to stay. So... Geralt arrives back from his Witcher contract the next morning. He bursts into the kitchen, telling the company to get ready because they're leaving. 
Everyone's very excited. They rush out and they go to pack their stuff, get ready. Everybody except for Regis, who wants an explanation from Geralt first. Like, why is this happening out of nowhere all of a sudden? Well, this is where the flashback to the Witcher contract to Pomerol Vineyards begins. So Pomerol Vineyards is where Geralt headed to to complete this contract. And this is where he got that information. So he rides there and he's with the steward of the vineyard. He met him somewhere and they ride to the vineyards together. And it's a pretty long ride. So the steward is pointing out a bunch of interesting things to Geralt along the way. And one of the things... I don't know how important this is to the overall story, but it was interesting nonetheless. It was a village that contained fields where pots grew. And this village had an agreement with another village that had pot lids growing in it. It's super weird and random. It's so out there, even though it doesn't seem very important, I had to talk about it for a second, but moving on, <laughs> they arrive at Pomerol and there are some merchant wagons and Geralt asks why merchants would be there instead of in Beauclair. And the steward explains that the merchants choose not to stay in Beauclair because there's a lot of fun going on all the time. Like there's parties and drinking and merriment and people who overindulge in those kind of things they grow stupid when they should be focused on important things like achieving their goals. And Geralt says to this that he's gained a great deal from their conversation. So I think this woke him up a little bit to the fact that he's been hanging out in Beauclair for too long without working toward his mission to find Ciri. But this realization, it doesn't really matter too much anyway, considering what's about to come for him. Well, he talks to another employee of the vineyards so that he can get more details on the monster that they're hiring him to take care of. And then he heads into the cellars. Well, in the cellars, he gets in there and a gremlin rushes past him and he tries to go after it, but then he falls through the floor and then he lands in the space that leads to caverns that eventually lead to a small room. And he's drawn to this room by voices he suddenly started hearing. And in this room, there's what's described as four enormous brass pipes with their ends flared out like trumpets and they're on the wall. And there's a chair in front of them with a skeleton in the chair. So Geralt notices the voices were coming from the pipes and then he moves the skeleton and he begins listening. So he's hearing a conversation taking place between Stefan Skellen, Ardal Ep... Dahi, I don't know if that's how you're meant to pronounce that last name, Dahi, but uh, that's the only way I could think that you should pronounce it, so that's just what I'm going to call him. Uh, so Stefan Skellen, Ardal Abdahi, Joaquim DeWet, and some people called Luvarden and Brane. Also, I don't know if that's how that name's meant, meant to be pronounced, but we've never heard of Luvarden until now. And the name Brane was just kind of thrown out there like two times, but we of course know Skellen and we've heard mentions of Dahi and Dewet before. So just a reminder really quick of what we've heard because they were very quick mentions. These two guys are Nilfgaardians who are to be leading two army groups in the spring attacks against the North. But both of them were severely offended by Emperor Amir's rejection to marry either of their daughters. And that rejection came in the form of what's supposed to be Siri, him being engaged to marry this fake Siri. And this offense 
that they suffered was so bad and it crushed their dreams so much that they joined with Skellen or I guess kind of hired him so that they could plot this revolution in Nilfgaard. So that's the main topic of their conversation, but they basically go through explaining that they're having this meeting in Tucson since there's no security service there and they're not going to get caught talking about this treasonous stuff. They also talk about how Skellen told them that Siri died, but they don't believe she's not going to show up again. And then they go into more intricate details about the revolution and why it's necessary and what the plan's going to be once it's complete, which we can go into more details about that if they're successful. But for now, while it's just a plan, while nothing is actually happening yet, let's, we can just leave it be for now. But they also talk about how part of the revolution includes Emperor Mir's assassination. And this is supposed to, according to them, it's supposed to take place by Vilgefort's bewitching Yennefer and making her do it right before she is to kill herself. And they believe that it's going to seem like Yennefer did this on her own accord as a way of getting revenge for Ciri. So one of them points out when they hear them talk about this that Yen was Vilgefort's accomplice. So why would he be sending her to do that? Why would he be bewitching her into doing that. And then another one corrects him to say that she's not his accomplice, she is his prisoner. So this is when Geralt first hears that Yennefer did not betray him. Well, then the conversation comes to a close right after Skellen as a gesture of sincerity and demonstrating that he can be trusted by the group. He tells them the name of Vilgefortz's hideout. Geralt hears that, of course, and then he takes off to grab the company from Beauclair and head in that direction as quickly as he possibly can. But boy, talk about the right place at the right time. Is he extremely lucky right now? There cannot be any reason other than a huge coincidence that Geralt stumbled upon this meeting and got this information. In such a random place, too. It's wild that he just happened to be there when they were talking about this and then in a room that let you listen in on the room that they were in like what <laughs> well i mean i guess it's a good thing but the unfortunate thing here is vilgefort doesn't have siri which Geralt probably like everybody else believes that he does so he thinks he's gonna go there and get siri but vilgefort does have yennefer so at the very least Geralt can try to save her and maybe once she's recovered from all that Vilgefort's put her through, if he does manage to, to rescue her, uh, Geralt and Yennefer can maybe work together to try to find Ciri. I don't know how likely that is if she's in another world at the moment, but maybe by the time she comes back from that world, he'll have rescued Yennefer. This is all just hopeful talking though, so we'll have to wait and see what happens in future chapters. But before he leaves the caverns, he is stopped by four different monsters, one of which talks to him and calls himself Mr. Schweitzer. <laughs> and Mr. Schweitzer tells him that they're going to kill him. But Geralt tries reasoning with him and he says that he's just going to leave them alone. He's going to stop hunting monsters for good if they let him go because he really needs to get out. Well, Mr. Schweitzer says that if Geralt breaks his sword, they're going to believe him. They'll take him at his word and they'll let him go free. Or not at his word, they'll take, him, they'll take him sincerely because he broke his sword and that's proof enough. So he does that. He uses an illusion though. 
to break his sword. He makes it look like he did that. And it worked out really well since as soon as they thought that his sword was broken, they try to attack him. But he gets the upper hand, of course, and he kills all of them. And he makes his way back to Beauclair. So the flashback created by Geralt telling Regis what happens ends at this point. And we return to the flashback that's created by Fringilla telling the Lodge how she got the information out of Geralt. So that starts with her catching him in the stable as he's trying to leave and he's trying to leave without saying goodbye. At first she reacts like she's very mad, but then she softens and she asks him to sit, to stay. And when it's clear that he's definitely not going to stay, she tells him that she will trade him information for the name of Vilgefortz's hideout. Right then and there, Geralt should have been like, wait, why do you care about that? What's that got to do with you at all? He doesn't react that way, though, which is surprising. You'd think that he... The only reason she would want to know that from anybody beside Geralt would be to help him out, to give him that name. But Geralt has the name and she's asking him for it, and there shouldn't be any reason for him to believe that that's a normal thing, that she would want to know that. So yeah, he doesn't react that way. He's He basically denies her this information until she gives him the information that she was offering, which is that Yen did not betray him and that she was Vilgefortz's prisoner. And I guess since he just found that out himself, that's why he doesn't really express anything to her other than, oh, thank you. But I would have thought... He'd be like, how the hell do you know that, Fringilla? <laughs> like, where would you have gotten that information from? He doesn't know about the lodge. He's not aware of that. So he should be really confused and thinking like, okay, something's up here. Fringilla wants information. She's got information. What What in the world is she doing? Like that, He should be pretty suspicious of that. But he's not. Um, and he goes to give her the name but he gives her the name of the wrong castle, which is honestly pretty fantastic. And she reports that incorrect name. It's called Rice Rune Castle or Rice Rune Citadel. She reports it back to the lodge and they're all very excited by this knowledge. They waste no time acting on it just to discover that the castle was empty and Geralt deliberately misled her. So at first, Virgil looked like a hero to all the sorceresses just end up looking like a huge fool. And I don't feel bad for her. Geralt, it's kind of complicated, but Geralt clearly did not show her the same love and affection that she showed him. She seemed very needy and he seemed a bit neglectful and indifferent and he even called her by the wrong name a couple of times. So I'm inclined to believe that she was not 100% using him. We do know that she was using him for the lodge, but I don't think it was completely with that motivation. I think that some of her feelings were legit. So that makes me kind of want to feel sorry for her because not only would that be super embarrassing, but like she is she was made to feel humiliated because somebody that she really cared for didn't trust her and he rightfully didn't trust her. That's I, I believe that 100%, but that's the thing. I, 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 that's why I don't feel bad for her. I almost want to, 
but I don't because she was betraying him. So screw you, Frangilla. <laughs> so as Geralt's leaving Tucson, he's talking to his friend, the Knight Reynard, and Reynard says something about showing him maps that had castles on them. Geralt cuts him off. He doesn't want him to talk about that ever again because this is how, this is where we learn how Geralt came up with the wrong castle. So it's pretty important that Reynard doesn't repeat that. And then Dandelion hurries up to the group on his horse so that he could say goodbye because he's officially decided not to continue with them. And I think that's probably for the best. If they're going after Vilgoforts, I really don't know what Dandelion could do except for die. Like, Vilgoforts kicked Geralt's ass, and Geralt's a really, really good fighter. So he is not one that's going to be easy to take on. And I'm honestly even a little bit worried about Kahir, Milva, and Golem because even though they have experience with weapons and defending themselves, they're still only human. But hopefully the Witcher and the Vampire will be able to work together enough to overtake Vilgoforts and the humans in the company can just offer a helping hand in some way. And uh, yeah, Dandelion really probably couldn't have done anything. Like Kahir, Milvan, and Glenn, they're human, but they are more knowledgeable and skilled when it comes to combat than Dandelion is. But they still have to get to Vilgoforts first, so let's back it back up. Dandelion, in this moment, he gives Geralt money that he stole from his little weasel, and Geralt gives Dandelion a letter for Dijkstra. And Dandelion is surprised by this and says he doesn't know how to get this letter to Dijkstra, but Geralt's sure that he'll figure it out. But that's all they say about the letter. He doesn't say what's in it. I'm super curious. I would love to know why Geralt is suddenly writing a letter to Dijkstra. I don't know if it's an apology or what, but or he's trying to lead him off the scent with some other similar tactic like he did with Fringilla. I don't know. But that's, yeah. Well, hopefully get to find that out in the future. But anyway, Geralt and Dandelion are parting on good terms, which is great because I didn't like the thought of them not being friends anymore. And I wasn't sure how things ended with them when we last saw them communicating in the previous chapter and they had that big disagreement. That was really sad to read. So... It's good that when they are parting ways, and I'm sure they'll see each other again, hopefully. Um, it's, it's good, though, that they are doing it without any bitterness between them. All right, well, that pretty much covers the chapter, so I'll go into the closing thoughts. The company is heading out to get Vilgoforts, thinking that that's going to get them Siri. At least now there's a chance that Yen can be rescued, since otherwise it did not seem possible. I really don't know how she would have made her way out of there. But hopefully they get there before she is forced to assassinate Amir. Because if not, then she's going to do that and then die. But I'm sure if they make it, Geralt is still, like, he'll be happy to save Yennefer. But he's going to be heartbroken to learn Siri isn't there. Well, maybe on the way he'll stumble upon some other useful information again. I mean, he I don't think he'd get that lucky twice, but... Who knows? He seems to have really good luck right now. Things are looking up. But it looks like getting there is going to be a problem. It looks like it's going to be a huge challenge just getting out of the greater Tucson region because it's winter time now and they have to pass through multiple mountain passes, which is not going to be easy. 
But you know, at least this time they're more prepared than they were when they set out from Broccolon because they've got money, equipment, food, maps. So maybe that'll be helpful enough for them to make it, but we'll have to see. Okay, looking ahead, what's going to happen with Fringilla and the Lodge now? Are they gonna kick her out? I mean, I don't know how useful she could be and they made them look pretty stupid. But I don't know, maybe she's going to try and seek revenge on Geralt for lying to her. Hopefully not. Hopefully she just realizes that she was wrong to betray him in the first place and she got what she deserved. But that's not really a common thing among a lot of people, so I doubt it. But we'll see. And the last point, I am looking forward to seeing how it goes with Geralt and the company as they travel to Vilgefortz's hideout. I would actually be a bit surprised, though, if we get to like check in with them a lot during their travels considering there was already a lot of content in baptism of fire that covered their travels when they were first setting out to rescue siri so i don't think that we would get to check in on them that much but i would just be interested to check in at least a little bit so we can see how they're managing through the snow and the mountains and everything in the winter time because that's got to be rough and there is a very dangerous element to that that i mean i guess if we don't check in with them at all then that would just make us feel better that they make it out okay so yeah i don't know um they never say the name of vilgefortz's actual location in this chapter although i think it was disclosed in chapter two uh, when nimi was talking to conwermers because this rice rune castle that Geralt told Fringilla about apparently went down in history as being the place where Vilgefortz's real hideout was. And then she mentioned another castle, and I did not note it here. But I think that that's probably the one where, it, where that's probably the real one. So if he's going there, I mean, I guess it doesn't matter if I know the name anyway, because we haven't been told where in the world that it's located compared to Tucson, so I don't know how long it's going to take them to get there. Hopefully it's not that far because he's got to go get Yennefer and then figure out another plan for Siri. All right, that is all I have for you. So just to let you know in case you didn't, these episodes are available on YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Thank you so much for joining me 50 episodes in, and I'll catch you in the next episode. <laughs>